I still sometimes can't get over the fact that you turn a tap on and fresh drinkable water comes out, in our cities anyway. Yes, my childhood was a little interesting at times, but it's a really useful perspective not taking fresh water for granted, especially with our changing climate and contamination of some of the fresh water we've relied on for generations. We need to think about new and, more importantly, old ways of caring for this vital resource. Bradley Mogridge is Associate Professor in Indigenous Water Science at the University of Canberra and a proud Murray man from the Kamilaroi Nation. Bradley, welcome. Yeah, I'm Hilary. How are you going? Good. Well, thank you. Womanjika, thanks for talking to us. You're an Indigenous water scientist and hydrogeologist, so you study groundwater. What yeah. made you interested in studying the water underneath us? Uh, I think it, it was... Uh, water was early on. Um, I realised you had to drink it to live. Uh, so it was a, a wake-up call that we needed to protect it. And um, later in life, I think <clears throat> I did geology straight out of school and uh, moved to environmental science and then realised that groundwater was a um, culturally a, a strong connection, but also as a water source, it was uh, something because it was out of sight, out of mind, we needed stronger protections to, to look at how we how we manage it and how we share it and and obviously how 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 it's used and obviously that quality as well. So yeah, I took on a master's in hydrogeology in early two thousands and um, I was looking I wanted to look at urban salinity because it was just starting to rear its head in um, Western Sydney uh, at the time where I you know, where I lived where I grew up as well. So um, groundwater was becoming, um, and yeah, as we were, and then we moved into the millennium drought and, and obviously things like that. So water was, was high on the on the agenda and I think groundwater was a key part of that. Well, and your Camilleroy and your country includes the Great Artesian Basin. Tell us a bit about how special that aquifer is. Yeah, look, the, you know, I suppose our, our old people knew it was it was ancient water and it was special water and, you know, in a dry landscape, if you've got water coming, you know, water coming out of the ground, that's um, the essence of life and, and it's it's drinkable and, and, and it sustains you and, and it's there most of the time, you know, you, you're going to put every effort into protecting that. And I think our connection to the Great Artesian Basin was strong because, you know, Part of the the Kimilaroi Nation is, you know, is, is spring country. Um, we do have a lot of springs in in our in our space and, and a lot of rivers as well. But also the the connection to that is is diverse. Um, there are you know strong rules around who can access that. But also uh, a lot of the groundwater places are women's places. So you know I need to be very careful about some of the places I I can. Uh, or visit or, or intend to visit because, you know, they, they could be actually women's specific sites from, from my nation and I don't want to upset the aunties. That's, yeah, no one wants to upset the aunties. That could go very badly for you. We're speaking with Bradley Mogridge, who's Associate Professor in Indigenous Water Science at the University of Canberra. Bradley, are we more reliant on groundwater than other countries? And I guess we should probably say, you know, what, what kind of water are we looking at in Australia? What is groundwater versus surface water? Yeah, look, we're probably, as, as you look at the continent of Australia, you know, like you move away from the coastal regions where, you know, you, you have a somewhat reliable um, water source, as in rain, um, and you have surface water rivers and things like that. And then there, as you move away from the coastal regions, Australia is, you know, 70% semi-arid and there's some really arid parts of the, the country, some of the 
driest parts, you know, Australia is the driest inhabited continent on Earth. So understanding water and knowing water is a key part of, of existing on the continent of Australia. So groundwater itself is, is becoming more highly um, required for, for drinking water needs. So, you know, as you move, as I said, as you move away from the sort of the riverine country, let's say the riverine country in the southeast, let's say the Murray-Darling Basin, um, and obviously in the north you have the wet and dry season, and so you'll have the wet that actually, you know, recharges these groundwater systems. So, you know, there's springs that come to life after the wet season and they will dry up towards the end of the the, um, the dry season. So um, groundwater is, you know, Perth has a huge reliance on, on groundwater as a drinking water supply and, you know, a lot of towns uh, actually tap into to aquifers. You know, that's the water that moves through, like it's, some of these rocks are like a, a huge sponge where you can tap into. And so the Great Artesian Basin, you tap a hole into a, um, the groundwater system and this beautiful water comes out. Sometimes it's pretty hot and, you know, it's it's high in minerals and things like that. And so there's there's actually human health benefits for, for accessing this water. But as we, at modern day um, groundwater use, you know, we have to be more careful because some of these some of these sites are naturally contaminated with with minerals and chemicals and and salts and things like that but sometimes you know it it is a human impact of development that has contaminated these water sources as well so mm. you know you got to be very careful because you you know you drill a hole in the ground and sometimes water comes out but you don't know the quality of that water um well, I'm, Bradley, I'm really interested in how much um, Indigenous water science and knowledge is being drawn on when it comes to the way we manage water in this country. What What are some of the uh, elements or aspects of Indigenous water knowledge that you'd see you'd like to see taken more notice of? Oh, I think the one of the primary ones for me, especially, is um, how we value water. We don't value it as the basis of life um, without it you die sort of scenario because when you think about surface water and groundwater, how it's managed, how it's shared, how it's, um, you know, policies around all, all that sort of stuff, we we see it as a commodity and there's a dollar value put on on that water. And, you know, we, we look at the Murray-Darling Basin itself and, you know, if water is, is, is tradable, um, it, it was separated as a or decoupled from land uh, many years ago, and it, water has its own market in the Murray Darling Basin. So, and if you had land, you had water back in the day, and uh, Aboriginal people, you know, some communities did have land um, that may have may have had water, um, and then it became a licensed activity to actually extract, and then that water market was created, and we were. F- well, I believe Aboriginal people were further disenfranchised because if you didn't have land, you didn't have water, and then when water and land were separated, you then have to go to a, a market and buy water. So, for Aboriginal people in the in 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 the basin, you know they they need to actually go to the market and buy it if it's available. And the market at the moment it's fully or over allocated in the basin. So, you know it's it's a it's fraught with, and we are further disenfranchised in the water space. So. The way we value water is a key component of that, I believe, and we don't we don't value it for what it is. Um, as I said, it's a it's 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 seen as a dollar value rather than you know um, importance for for all of life. So, other bits is how we 
how we understand water systems. And that's part of um, what I'm trying to do is, is rather than being the researched, my, you know, the mob, um, I become the researcher to, to be a voice. You know, I've been quite lucky. Um, I, unfortunately, I haven't grown up on my country, but I, um, you know, have visited it and always, you know, still got a lot of relatives. Mum's one of 14. So, you know, I've got a lot of um, relations and cousins that are still on country and I still have a reason to go back to country to connect, to reconnect and things like that. So understanding water is, is a learning aspect. You know, I've been lucky to learn in the Western space, but traditionally, you know, I'm always learning every time I go back to country mm. about water. Well, no, it's interesting, isn't it, to see that there's more discussion these days about Indigenous management of land, for example, through fire. Mm. What about Indigenous knowledge about water, like water flows, you know, how we used to talk about uh, swamps and now we talk more about floodplains and wetlands. Is there more um, recognition that um, Indigenous people have important knowledge about how to manage those, those watery spaces? Yeah, definitely. And I suppose wetlands, you know, they're, they're very significant. They have, you know, some of our wetlands have obviously international standing through the Ramsar Convention, but also the, the connection and knowledge of these wetlands is that Aboriginal people have uh, from a local point of view is that, you know, these are, these were the, well, are and, and were the supermarkets of the day, you know, that you could get all your resources from a wetland when water was in there. And obviously, you know, being a dry continent, these wetlands do have a drying and wetting scenario. But our advice is not seen as, and our knowledge isn't really filtering into the way we manage these landscapes. You know, they're at the moment they're purely for ecological uh, benefit, um, for the for the benefit of nature. Whereas indigenous knowledge looks at, um, I believe, more a human aspect. Um, a, a connection, you know, we, we look at these wild spaces and, you know, we're rewilding these these places, but they were never wild because humans were there, Aboriginal people were there. Uh, and so that term is is a bit fraught, but um, understanding these water places is, is um, as you started, you know, old knowledge or new systems and new challenges, I think, is, is the way forward. Yeah. Well, there's recently been an announcement for funding for safe water for Indigenous communities because there's this appalling situation, isn't there, Bradley Mogridge, where a lot of particularly remote Indigenous communities just don't have access to drinkable, safe water. Is that funding part of the Closing the Gap funding enough to cover the kinds of infrastructure that are needed? Oh, th- this has been a, a scenario that's been around for a long time. It's not new. Um, there was a report recently and, you know, it, it recommended that to fix some of these challenges, it's going to cost $2.2 billion. Um, so, uh, the, the government committed $150 million and I suppose that, that's a, that's a start. And then how you prioritize that, because some of these communities have water that is not fit for human consumption, you know, whether it's natural, uh, contaminants, as I said, or biological contaminants, you know, from animals, um, spoiling the water, or it could be um, agricultural uh, chemicals or old mine sites, uh, mine leakage. So these sort of industrial chemicals, you know, so there's some real challenges um, around the quality of the water. So whether it's, you know, it's the source water or it's how, how the actual water is treated and managed. So, you know, you move into then the technical aspects and you look at 
some of the challenges around that because it's, you know, the remote communities obviously um, they, it costs money to actually maintain these systems and have the right sources of, of uh, treatment as well. So, you know, our Aboriginal people, where, where these communities have people trained up to actually maintain these systems, they may move on to, to better jobs, you know, and you can't um, judge them for that because, you know, they're just obviously looking to strive or those, that, that knowledge disappears. Um, and then you have the challenge of untreated water and systems that aren't working to its capability and obviously producing water quality that's fit for human consumption. And then, you know, then you've got the other health issues where would you rather drink warm, salty groundwater or a cold can of a soft drink? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And as you say, you know, you've got to suspend judgment because there are rational decisions being made. Bradley, it's great to chat to you today. I wish we had more time, but thank you so much for giving (laughs) us a little bit of the benefit of your expertise. Uh, Good luck steering clear of the aunties. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. (laughs) Bradley Mogridge, Associate Professor in Indigenous Water Science at the University of Canberra and a proud Murray man from the Kamilaroi Nation. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.